You're listening to the Yoga Teacher Resource Podcast. Knowledge, techniques, and inspiration for your teaching and your practice. I'm your host, Mado Hesselink. If you're a yoga teacher who loves learning, is passionate about spreading the benefits of yoga, and desires more resources to support your teaching, you're in the right place. Let's get started with today's episode. Welcome to episode 24 of the Yoga Teacher Resource Podcast. Today's episode is an on-air coaching call with Valerie Anderson, who lives in an extremely rural area. She has to drive 35 minutes to a small town to teach her classes. So she struggles both with organizing her teaching and also with finding ways to study and take classes and trainings. In this episode, Valerie and I talk about how to choose a niche when your population is so limited. And we also discuss ways of talking about yoga that are going to resonate with the culture of the people in her area. Finally, we address some discomfort that she has in talking about what she does. She has these moments that feels feel really awkward. And I shared with her a way of shifting her thinking around those conversations that will help her feel more comfortable and more natural talking about yoga. If after you listen to this episode, you decide you want my eyes and my brain focused on your yoga business for a while, I would love for you to sign up for a strategy session with me. You can do that by going to teachingyoga.net, click the work with me tab. One thing I love about doing these strategy sessions is that I never know what's going to happen. It's this moment by moment exploration and I really get to learn as I go and sometimes I get to be really surprised. So in this episode, Valerie surprises me by having a ready-made niche under her nose that she already has a ton of demand for. So that is really fun, and I hope that you enjoy listening to this episode as much as I enjoyed recording it, because Valerie is incredibly well-spoken, thoughtful, and caring. So I know that she's an amazing teacher, and I'm really excited to see where she goes from here. I'm here with Valerie Anderson, who lives in a really small town in Wyoming called Ten Sleep, and she teaches 35 minutes away from that in a slightly larger town of only 3,000 people. She has come to me with three questions. One is she has a really hard time getting extra training because she's literally three hours from a metropolitan area where there's any continuing education training for teachers. She's also interested in figuring out if it's possible to choose a niche in such a small rural area. And she's also curious about whether or not she should do privates. Welcome to the podcast, Valerie. I'm super happy to have you here. Thanks for having me. So Valerie, you moved to this tiny, tiny area, (laughs) this really remote area from Southern California where you had yoga all over the place and that's where you did your training. And you run a campground and a cabin rental and that is geared towards mountain climbers. Is that right? Yes, we moved here from busy SoCal to get away from lots of crowds, lots of people, uh, lots of traffic. And we moved to the exact opposite here in Wyoming. And yes, we gear everything that we do mostly towards the climbers because we are climbers and that's how we make most of our living. That's awesome. So I'm curious, how many people come through your campground? How many climbers come through your campground? This is our second summer here that we've been open and word has definitely spread about our existence because the Big Horns area 
on our south side lacked a lot of important amenities like trash disposal and restrooms. And we provide that for not only the climbers, but now some of the hikers know, the fishermen, the hunters, they realize that we we have these um, amenities available. Also, Wi-Fi, the people come for the Wi-Fi. <laughs> Flushing toilets, it's a big deal to them. But anywhere, I don't know, I'd say passing through day, some people stay for a week, some stay for a month, and we could see up to a thousand people come through. Maybe okay. 1,500, which is a lot. I meet a lot of new people, a lot of new faces. It's really cool. And you're still relatively new to this, so that might increase. That's definitely going to increase. And we are working on uh, on the business model side, figuring out how we can still serve this community and keep the big horns clean and then also work with the locals that don't quite understand the the climbing lifestyle of living in your van for months at a time traveling around the country and uh, it's it's a good juggle but i'm i'm really enjoying it so have you thought at all about offering yoga to the people who come through your campground I have throughout the summer, I randomly have done yoga classes for groups of people that come through. They know it word spreads very quickly. Again, teeny tiny town that there's this lady that does yoga and she lives at the rock ranch. So I do get groups that come up and ask and periodically I've done those classes. It is a bit more challenging for me to serve this, that particular community, the climate community, not because I'm not sure what I'm doing. Uh, I feel the most familiar with what they actually need being a climber. And I can definitely reach to those specific areas, whether it's the shoulders needing opening or hips or whatnot. But the greater challenge is that in the summer, I'm exceedingly busy with running this place. And this summer, I barely got into teaching people just because I didn't quite feel comfortable putting myself out there on a regular basis and leaving some of the tasks or just adding another task in general that I would be doing. So as I get more of my feet underneath me on this, I'm really hoping to expand that next summer. So I'm glad that you asked about it. Yeah. Cause that seems like the first logical, perfect fit for you because you don't have to drive. I know <laughs> I would just do it in my front yard. Right. right on the grass. Yeah. And if you compare that to a 35 minute drive to teach a class, that's a big win right there. So you have number one, the location. And then number two, you have a niche, you have the people that you know best. That is absolutely true. And I've discussed this with a couple of people. It's definitely something I want to expand on. I dabbled in it a little bit this year and it felt very rewarding to connect to my tribe, I should say, and give them what they need. And I've done it before. Um, I mentioned I am from Southern California. We own a rock climbing gym there and I have taught classes there as well. It was very much near the beginning of my experience as a teacher. And it felt really great and really rewarding because it also opened my eyes to techniques and skills and yoga that can help me as a climber and as a person to stay more physically balanced as I do a lot of physical activities. Um, that's what drew me to, to uh, yoga in the first place is balancing from the running and the climbing. And I love it. I'm definitely going to rip into it next year a lot more as I get more help here now that I know what to ask of the hosts that we hire each season. Awesome. And you, I- I think you're in such a great position to understand how symbiotic yoga and climbing are. They're like opposites from each other. Yeah. Yeah. I, I often tell the story to people, how do you, how did you get into yoga? And I said, well, I pretty much wrecked myself and I needed to figure out how to heal if I wanted to do better in climbing, to get stronger, to try harder things, to advance mentally and physically. I had to turn to something and I'm really glad that I found yoga to balance that all out. And yeah, we do a lot of pulling, tons of pulling. And then in yoga, you do lots of pushing. So it is a perfect counter from the front body, back body that that climbers struggle with. Yeah. And you know, if it were me, you could focus on the climbers in the summer when they're there 
and focus because you told me earlier that it's hard to get people to come to your other yoga classes in the summer, but in the winter time, they're going stir crazy. They want something to do and then they come out to yoga. So what I would think about doing is running your classes seasonally like a series so that you're not wasting your time. And I don't like to call it, I mean, you know, wasting your time is, is a matter of perspective, but if you're driving 35 minutes to teach a class, I don't want you to do that. And then not even like make your gas money. Yes. That's a definite point that I had this strong discussion with the other teacher that's here. Um, the other teacher, she's been here almost 20 years now and she's seen the gathering of the teachers under one roof and then that falling apart. And then um, this is the kind of second coming gathering of all the teachers under one roof. And she feels the same. It's, it's rewarding always to connect with people, to teach them. That's really why we, we do what we do. But at the end of the day, I just spent an hour driving to class for an hour class and four people showed up. It's also a time efficiency factor and you're not wasting your time connecting these people. Definitely. I see your point. Um, it's, it's more of just, you have to make it efficient for yourself. And in Wyoming, where I live, weather is a serious factor. Last winter, I did not have to cancel any classes, fortunately, but it can happen. And there's also the opportunity for you to get stuck in the town next to you. And that might even hamper you from not wanting to teach thinking later this evening, it might get worse and I might not get home. And so there's also that struggle, um, just in running winter classes, but. Yeah. And when you think about, you know, how busy you already are during the summer, consider, consider doing it seasonally when it's summertime and you really need to focus on your campground, be there and focus on there. And so then if you're not running to another town to teach a class that may or may not have enough people to make it a break-even point for you, instead, you're just in your home base, nurturing your people. And then in the wintertime, you know, you'll, you'll just have to deal with the, <laughs> the, the vagaries of weather as they happen, because that's not something we have control over. But one way that you can do this is you run a class as a series. So people pay ahead of time for a set number of classes. And then what I like to do is build in into the price a few cancellations. So basically in exchange for committing, you cut them a break where you're like, okay, you're going to pay for 10 classes, but I'm going to give you 12. But so with that, we'll understand that for two of those, you might not be able to make it because of the weather or you might just choose not to come and that's fine. So that way, not only do you have commitment from people, but you have an idea of what your income is going to be, like a guaranteed income. I, uh, I definitely thought about that idea and it's something that the current teacher has done. She set her practices up in segments because she too is also, she's the other climber that lives in town. That's kind of the joke. There's four of us. There's my husband and I and her husband and, and herself. Um, so the four of us are the only climbers and she does name travel. She has to be out of the country sometimes. And so she has these schedules. It's a year ahead of time and she sells her packages in these chunks. And if you, like you said, if they cancel or they can't make it, then that's just part of their their packaging. Where I'm at currently at the new studio, it's a punch card. Everybody gets to use it no matter which teacher. So it would be something I would need to figure out on the business side with the other teachers and then also the studio where it's they're buying a package specifically for me. They can't go to the other teacher's um, I will say at the moment, it's been nice that we've been interchanging students. So if I did move to something like this, it would take um, a little bit more of a, a commitment and a, and a plan to present. So I like it. I want to hold on to it for a bit. Yeah. 
That makes sense. I think there's there's always that balance between how can I, you know, create structure that works for me, but not cut myself off from opportunity, right? Right, right. Because if they buy this package from me, then they won't go to other teachers or they might say, well, I don't want to buy the package because then I can't go to the other teachers. And that could hurt too. So it's something to think about. I could still run classes in series. I just wouldn't know what the the payoff uh, would look like or the structure of it would look like. The other thing you could do is actually pitch this to all the teachers to run their classes a series because really it benefits both teachers and students. And what you could do for reciprocity is you could say, if you can't make my class in a certain week, we have an understanding with the other teachers that you can drop into their class as a makeup. Like this is a courtesy we'll extend to each other. Then you could get the benefit of the series and the commitment with also the you know, cross-pollination. Yeah. I like the (laughs) cross-pollination. That's a good, that's a good way of phrasing it. And, you know, so right now you're not teaching at all in the very small town where you live. I am not, but, um, it, it goes, um, it sh- it should be said that the teacher I was speaking about that has been here for almost two decades now, she is, also considering a big move in leaving and her I mentioned earlier that she sets her schedule up a year in advance and she has a three-week break coming up I will be subbing all of her classes the other teachers weren't able to and she has stacked them all on a Wednesday so I will go in Monday night for my classes Tuesday morning for my class and my senior chair yoga and then all day Wednesday for her classes for three weeks that should be uh, interesting, but she's also taking a three-month break in winter for school. She has an internship. She has to leave the actually leave the state for three months to go do um, her grad school work. And I am definitely considering taking on some or all of her classes because not all of her connect her classes I I connect with as a teacher. I might enjoy taking that type of yoga, but I have to be honest with myself and my students. If I don't love teaching it and it's not a passion, then I'm not going to feel driven to want to chase after the research. And it doesn't feel honest uh, to walk in and just say, I'm going to throw some things I saw on the internet at them just because this class is here and it should exist. And sorry, go ahead. What, what are the type of classes that you do love and which are the ones that you don't resonate with as much? I personally like to teach to anatomy, to alignment, to giving them ways that they can use in a real life sense. When I'm in a balance with somebody that I know struggles with balance, I might say, you could try this standing at your kitchen sink the next time you do dishes. And I love giving them those little nuggets to tell them that this is not just what happens in the room, that it affects what you do outside this room. And you can keep it up, by the way, while you're not here as well. I love that component of yoga. The other is slow flow, just general vinyasa. I like moving to breath in a controlled way. Uh, teaching a fast pump class where everyone's breathing hard scares me. So I'll take them. I love them, but I don't teach them. Okay. Okay. Um, I can really, I'm, I'm have a very similar style to you. I like the slow flow. I like the alignment and Mm -hmm. I, I'm not really into teaching a fast class. You know, honestly, I'm not even that into taking them. (laughs) I, I just slow down. Like I'll be in the middle of the fast class. I'll be like, this is moving too fast for me. And I'll just kind of, you know, be five breaths behind and then I'll skip Mm -hmm. something to catch back up. And Mm -hmm. uh, the other, sorry, the, uh, the other class uh, that had driven the question was um, it's, we don't call it yin here, but it's restore and refresh or Mm -hmm. relax and refresh kind of, but it is, it's restorative. It's yin, it's meditative. We don't throw those words out at the, the local community. Um, for obvious reasons. Um, Mm -hmm. And they love it. They love it. There's a lot of people that go to it, but I I, am not great at teaching it. I'm not great at teaching breath work or 
meditations. And for three weeks, I will be um, unfortunately sort of exploring myself um, and hopefully not feeling like I'm cheating them out on a really great experience because I'm okay at it, not great. <laughs> well, let's let's keep an open mind because you never know. You might you might find a spark during those three weeks. Yeah, that's my hope is that I really get into it so that the students can tell that I, I do enjoy teaching it and that what I am giving them is not something I copy pasted from the internet. And Well, what I recommend is from now until then, setting aside some time for that type of practice for yourself. Yeah, I had a lot of great recommendations on the Facebook group, um, your Facebook group. I put it out there and I got a couple of websites. I got a couple of really great ideas from other teachers about how I can prepare myself before I get there. So I am teaching with a little bit more integrity. Nice. Yeah, I really think practice, that's, that's the key. And, you know, when you practice yourself with some consistency, it really will support you as you teach. You'll just, you'll tap into your own practice during your teaching and you might surprise yourself. Yes, it's definitely helped. Um, and that's, that's the, this huge theme to any podcast I've ever listened to on this subject. You have to teach. Uh, if you, if you, you have to practice, if you want to teach, that's what I was trying to say. You have to have your own practice. You have to get on your mat you have to feel what it feels like to do movement that you're going to be asking of your students. Cause sometimes in your mind it works, but then you get them to do it and you're like, that totally didn't work. I probably should have tried that myself, but I will say in department and going to classes, I basically either create a session myself, do my own, or I have websites that I get videos from and it's not, the same as being with a community, being in a room, being with other people breathing. I really, really miss that, but I do my best to, to try to create some space in my home studio for my self-practice. That's the best you can do. <laughs> That's all you can do. Okay. So in an ideal world, uh, how many classes a week or how much time per week would you devote to teaching in the summer months and in the winter months? I would say that in an ideal sense, it would be nice to teach one day or two days. And as I mentioned, the other teacher stacks her classes up on one day. That's a bit much for me. I would be okay driving twice to to the next town over to, to offer several classes and then again, offer other classes, um, Part of the problem as well is that I have a chair class for the seniors at our local senior center and it's free to them. And they're a really lively bunch. They give me a lot of fulfillment as a teacher. And I inherited this class from the other teacher and I thought, oh, I don't know about this. I don't, I've never done this. I don't even know if I like it. And it turns out I do in your comment to the other class that I was like, I don't know about this. I might end up loving meditation and yin, who knows, but they are a morning bunch. And then I teach at five o'clock, six o'clock at night for my other crowd. And I have this huge gap in the day, which is why I set two days aside, even though I am going to be gambling with the weather more in winter. It's just what has to be done to fulfill the the two groups that I love teaching to, to the most. So these are both in the town that's 35 minutes away. Yes, unfortunately. So Monday night, I travel, take two classes with my students. The next morning, I get up, I go back, and I teach a morning class and then the chair class. And I at least book them back to back so it feels like my classes are done for the week. I don't have to drive into the big town, Um, although it should be said that that's where I get all my supplies. So so it can be uh, also helpful (laughs) to go there. Yeah. And you can, you know, you can figure out other think ways to stack functions. So that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And so this is, this works for you both winter and summer to do this. This is new. This new schedule came about when the studio opened and all the teachers merged. So I'm going to give it a go for winter and see how it feels teaching in the evenings and then teaching in the mornings turning around. Uh, it might, it might be different. It might not work as well as it does in the summer. And 
I will just have to see how it goes. Yeah. Yeah. All right. That sounds good. And perhaps you could drop down to one day a week during the summers and then focus some classes at your campground or in your smaller town during the summer months. That's definitely plausible, although it is easier and nicer to drive in the summer to the next town over. So it feels less of a burden than getting your car in 20 degrees and maybe it's not even snow, it's just cold and it looks dreary. Yeah. Um, but I'm just yeah, thinking about I your ability to develop. Option. I'm thinking about your devel- ability to develop a program at your campground and your need to balance the work that the campground takes versus, you know, you have more time in the winter. Yeah, there's a lot of ways that we could design these uh, summer winter sessions or traveling back and forth. I think it's going to be something I need to to play with. And all these ideas generated are really great because if one doesn't work, I can try the next one. And it's sort of, in a sense, it is what it is, though, as far as I do live 30, 35 minutes from that town. And I do have students there and they all can't meet on the same night so there, there does have to be availability for a second night. So it is something to, to think about and consider as far as serving those students and then also keeping my driving sanity and the weather and summer versus winter. Yep, absolutely. And, you know, as, as you do this over time, as you try this, you're definitely going to refine it and figure out what works for you and what doesn't. So let's talk about privates. Okay, great. So you living in a rural area where yoga is still new to people, the chances of your general population being gung-ho to sign up for privates is, yeah, maybe, maybe not. That, that's going to be a tougher sell. But with your guests at the campground who you know exactly what they need and you're positioned to help them you're in the right location with the right background. Those are the people that I would target for privates. I think that's a great point because people have approached me and there were times I literally had to turn them down because I was in the middle of doing something camp related or I had guests that were staying and I had to show host, do all those activities and they were only here for a day. So if I, if I couldn't teach them that day, then, then maybe next time. And I hated turning them down because they had a need and they were coming to me with it. And I do have a private studio in my house that I would elect to probably teach them in versus outdoors, unless that's where they wanted to do it. And they felt like that would be um, a better location for them, but it would be great. It would be great to tap into that through them because I would maybe even feel a little bit more calmer and safer knowing, oh, this is a climber. This is someone from my tribe. Uh, they're going to talk back to me and give me feedback and let me know what's working for them, what's not. And it would be very relatable. They would probably trust me a bit more knowing I'm a climber and I'm throwing this out at them because I actually know their aches and their pains and their needs. Exactly. Exactly. So do you have a look? What's the system for people to sign up? to stay at the campground? Is that a website? Do they have to call you? Yes. Yes. It's a a website. I did have uh, a yoga tab up there uh, and I I had to take it down because I was getting more requests than I could fulfill. And I know, I know. know. They would call, they would say, can we, can we? And I'm like, "Ah, I can't, I can't the time frame that you're there. And um, it was, it was, again, it was so hard to say to say no, but, um, I also have a life in summer. This is where everything is for me is summertime. The people, the friends, the family, they all trek through and the climbing is amazing here in the Bighorns. And that's, that's the time that you climb and I have to get in as much as I can. And at, at this, at this point, or I should say at that point, cause summer's pretty much gone here. Um, I didn't feel like I was willing to sacrifice what was fulfilling to me to unfortunately help them. So I did say no a lot, which was hard, but that's also something I'm working on is saying no, 
And saying no, saying no is very important and you will have to continue saying no. And knowing that there's so much demand, you can create some structures to help you be able to say yes when it makes sense to say yes. Mm -hmm. What I would consider is to set aside certain days and times that are available for privates and then sign up for a scheduling software where people can pay schedule and pay for those privates through your website Mm -hmm. and they just have your available times to choose from. And then if something comes up and you need to fill one of those available time slots with something else, you can just block it off. But that way it's kind of hands off when you're available. Like you don't have to go through the process of negotiating or, you know, you don't even have to say no because your schedule is going to say no for you. If you can't do it. I like that. (laughs) I don't have to say no. (laughs) The computer gets to tell them no. Yeah. yeah, (laughs) exactly. And the cool thing is that you know, having that experience of like, oh, she's fully booked right now. Well, the next time I'm going to book further in advance, it like, it builds the anticipation and it builds, you know, the, the sense of desire for it. I, I, I like that you said that because there's a lot of people that travel the States around us for people who aren't aware because people ask me all the time, how's Montana? And I say, I live in Wyoming. (laughs) We are right above Colorado. Um, And then people travel from Montana, Utah, uh, Idaho. So we get a lot of return people because it's just five, six, seven hours. I stay a couple of days. And I I see a lot of folks already, even in their second year that come back around several times in each season. And it's really cool. And those people, I think would definitely, they live in bigger cities. They're used to having yoga and they go on vacation. They'd love to have yoga out in nature or a private session. And that's the target group. <laughs> yeah, this could be huge. And what you can do too is you can look about at what you're charging and look at the demand. And as that fills, you can start hiring out more and more for your other admin responsibilities that aren't fulfilling to you, that aren't as enjoyable to you as teaching yoga. I mean, I totally get that you don't want to sacrifice your climbing to teach. But I'm sure that you have admin duties <laughs> that you could that you could pay somebody else to do out of part of what you make doing your privates, mm-hmm. right? And you still make a profit, and you get to do something that's more exciting, more interesting, <laughs> more yes. more yes. in your zone of genius. Yes, and that's why it seems so much more plausible to explore this all the more coming into the next season because there are tasks here that come up. Oh, that's a task now. Somebody needs to do that. Or, oh, this is surprising. I didn't know that this was going to be happening, occurring, whatever. As the business here develops, more and more pours out of it. And I'm learning how to pass that on in an efficient way to somebody and a lot of it is in in trade because again, those climbers, they just they want to show up, they want to park in your yard for a month take the trash out and clean the bathrooms and stay for free. Like that's their, that's their MO. So I can't ask them for too much. So next year's model will probably be actually hiring, paying somebody some sort of stipend to do these tasks that I would like to relieve myself of that. I understand enough that I can give to them. And if I'm not here, their, their world's not going to blow up if something happens because I've given them all the tools. I know all the pitfalls. Perfect. I love it. So the scheduling software that I use is called Acuity, A-C-U-I-T-Y. I'm sh- there are lots of other ones. Um, I have enjoyed using Acuity. I think it, to me, it's been relatively intuitive and it's been able to do everything I wanted it to do. Um, nice. But definitely, you know, you can do some research there. There are others. Let's talk about niche now? Because what I see happening for you is that you have several niches and that's okay. So rather than thinking, I don't have a niche because I teach different types of people, think I have several niches. So one of your niches is seniors. Yes. Yes. Lo and behold, I 
in my previous life, uh, I actually taught kindergarten for several years, about five years, and I loved, loved, loved them. Um, so the idea of walking into a senior center with 50, 60, 70 year olds, I do have a ton of 70 year olds. It's really cool. Uh, and teaching them chair yoga, yoga in a chair felt very foreign, very unsure. But as I mentioned earlier, it was so hard for me to say no. And it's been the most fulfilling and rewarding thus far because they they come with enthusiasm, knowing that this is the, the benefit in their day, in their week, that is going to keep them going for even longer. And that's that's reality for them at their age that they just they, they're thinking, how much more time can I buy? I'll go to yoga. I'll go to the swim class. I'll mingle at bingo. Um, and so they're, they're so gracious and very, very thankful that I show up and um, give this opportunity to them. That helps a lot, that <laughs> they're so nice. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Seniors, elder people, they are incredible. They have a sense of perspective and they're incredibly rewarding to teach. I totally agree. So your other niche so far is climbers. That's really clear. That's really simple. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, if we look from a long-term perspective, I could see you choosing eventually to just focus on climbers. That's long-term. I think you've only been teaching a year and a half. There's no need for you to, to, and to narrow yourself down to one niche. And it's scary to do that. But ultimately, the place where you're going to have the most success is going to be picking one to be the expert at, right? And that, so that might end up being that you travel during the winter teaching yoga for climbers trainings or something like that. But that's, that's just kind of a seed to plant for the future. <laughs> for now, you've got seniors, climbers, and then the more problem area is what about those more general classes? And here's, I still want you to be narrowing this down, but it can be a process. I want you to start thinking about, and maybe you can even bring them up to yourself in your mind. When you teach those classes, who are the most regular students there? My most regular students when I teach those classes are the enthusiastic ones. Right. The ones that know that self-care is the most important part of their their day when they get away from um, the husband or the family. And um, the general demographic is middle-aged uh, to maybe a bit older. So their kids are not around. Th- these are the consistent folks, I should say. The very I'm, I'm there every Monday night. I see you every Tuesday morning, whatever their time slot is. Um, their kids are gone and they're either semi-retired or fully retired. So they have the availability to slot it in, commit to it and always show up. And then I have the revolving door of enthusiastic friends uh, there's, they're still chipper and excited to dedicate this time because they are moms. Um, I am yet to have a, a man walk into my classes yet, but so I speak of women only not because of that, but, um, they're moms and their wives and an hour to themselves is so golden. And, and I try to extend their Shavasana as long as I can, because it's five minutes or six minutes where they're laying and nobody's asking them for something and it's quiet. And that's the other group that sort of revolves in my classroom. Okay. So there you have it. That's your niche is moms. Whether they have young children or their children are out of the house, it's women who have been giving their entire lives and have this calling to self-care. It's perfect. And that doesn't mean that if a man walks in that you don't welcome him. And it doesn't mean that... If, you know, a young girl in her 20s walks in that you don't help her or cater to her or, or, you know, try to accommodate her, it means that you know who you're speaking to. This is something you can develop over time. But when people ask you, well, what are your classes like? You're not going to say, my classes are a chance for men to find their feminine side, right? You're going to say, <laughs> my classes are a window in your day where nobody's asking anything of you and you get to just take care of yourself. I like that. 
And you'll come up with lots of different ways to say that. But it becomes really clear when somebody asks you, what do you do? What is yoga? You can speak of it in terms of self-care. Speak of it in terms of rejuvenation, in terms of rest, and in terms of, you know, self-feeding, self-nurturing. That's a huge component of why I got into yoga, as I mentioned earlier, and why I try to focus on it as a teacher is because that's where it started for me. It's it's very rewarding to see all the bits and pieces of myself physically get uh, put back together after a crazy race or um, a, an intense training session. And I, I that's not there reason why they're showing up, but it's still part of that self-care. They, they want five minutes, that proverbial five minutes of it. They get a whole hour basically for, for $10. Can you believe it? <laughs> um, to show up and, and not have to think about anybody else and to shut off their minds. And also to, to know there's nothing they can do about anything outside the room at the moment. They're, they're here, they have their or give it and then you can, when you leave, you can go deal with whatever is on your phone. <laughs> you look a down little at bit it. more peace of mind. Yes, hopefully. Yeah. Uh, hopefully they feel a little bit more centered and, oh, okay. Something exploded at home. That's okay. I feel great right now. I can deal with this well. Yeah. Yeah. I love this because one of the things that stood out to me was a post that you made on the Facebook group where I was asking about how you describe yoga. And one of the, one of the comments that you made was that you say yoga can be anything. And, and I think that's true, but I think that's something that most people can't relate to. If you say anything, you've given them too many options and they can't kind of hook into it. And so it's going to be hard for them to be, to, to figure out where they fit in anything. But if you say self-care or, you know, you'll come up with lots of different synonyms and and metaphors and all of that. But if you have a, a specific focus, they'll know immediately, yes, that's something I need or no, that's not for me. And that's what you want. That's that's a important principle of marketing is actually having people who don't want what you're offering turned off right away. Because you don't want to waste your energy with people who are going to show up once and be like, that's not for me. That's you know, it's cool if they do, it's not a problem, but it's not nurturing to the other students. It's not nurturing to you as a teacher. How much better is it if they figure out that it's not for them before stepping into the room? Because then you get to focus on the people it is for. Absolutely. And there's other, fortunately, even in that tiny town of, you know, 5,000, we, we have three teachers and somebody else may be able to give them what they need because you've, you've talked about it before that you can't, you can't teach that every person. And that's something that you have to admit right away as a teacher that I, I'm going to reach these people, the ones that like when I talk about anatomy, the ones that like that I'm giving them advice on how they can take this outside the classroom. And maybe that takes away from the flow a bit in little chunks, but if they wanted a continuous flow, there's a great teacher for that. And if they want the 5 a.m. wake up, there's a great teacher for that. Yes. Yeah. I love that that's available even in your small town. That's, that's huge. That's amazing. We've come a long way. Yes. Yes, we have. And it's a, it's a town of a lot of cowboys and cowgirls. And this is something that might be new to a few of them. Um, but I see a lot of people come in with that, that, stress sensor, whether it's the ranch or whether it's the kids and the job and the family, it's something that tells them I need time for myself. And if this is it, if, if this is what it takes is signing up for a class and telling everybody, no, I'm going to yoga. Don't talk to me for an hour. I'll get back to you afterwards. Um, they are slowly realizing that that's incredibly valuable, not only for themselves, but how they end up serving other people. Totally. And now you have some, a clearer sense of how you're going to talk about what you do when people ask you about it. Yeah. And they do, they say, Oh, you you teach yoga. Don't you? You're that yoga lady. You're one of the yoga ladies because we are in this tiny town and everybody knows I've been here almost two years now. And I've already kind of been penned as this is what she does because everybody knows everybody. And so I'm one of the yoga ladies now. 
So I want you to work on an elevator speech, which you know what that is, right? It's like, tell people what you do in 30 seconds or less and don't use the word yoga. Okay. (laughs) I think I can do that because I'm getting used to not saying um, a lot of the the fun terms in yoga that don't go over as well here as they would if I was speaking to a, a very diverse and educated, specifically on yoga population. When I lived in Southern California, I could say a lot of other things there that people, oh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. I've been to yoga. I go to yoga or, you know, here it's, it's a bit different. And yeah, I welcome that challenge. Don't yeah, use it's yoga. not even just a challenge. It's an opportunity because you get to serve people in a way that the people in Southern California, they have like the smorgasbord of options. And so when we have too many options as humans, we actually don't appreciate it as much what we get. But if we just have two or three options and we find the right fit for ourselves, then we really appreciate it. So being in a rural area, there are unique challenges to it, but there are also benefits and opportunities. And For each of us, whatever situation we're in, we tend to be better off if we focus on the benefits and opportunities of our situation while, of course, you know, accommodating for the challenges and and responding to the challenges. But I think most of our energy and attention, if we focus on the opportunities, then we expand those. Excellent. Yeah, I I am really interested in seeing how privates go throughout... um, throughout next summer, because I think that is a stronger market for men. So if I do enjoy teaching to men and I don't know that I do or don't, or that I'm um, fully capable yet, because like I said, I haven't had any walk through my door. Um, But if it does pop up, then I I think as far as the, the big town goes, that the private niche would be men because they want something where they're not joined with a group of people that they don't know. They're, they're just, yeah, they're more, they're 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 more self-conscious. Yeah. Yeah, they are. And, uh, it's not as for a lot of them, it's not something that they even have fathomed or experienced before. So (laughs) even if they eventually get to the open sessions, I think privates would be a good place to start for a lot of the men in the town that just need that more secure space. Yeah. Yeah. And once you have the scheduling software set up on your website, then even though the target market is the climbers, you might end up directing men in the town to that to that scheduling software if they express an interest in it. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. So let's talk about your your third and final question today, which is about training and travel. And, you know... What I'm hearing from you is that you do the best you can with online resources, but it's not the same as being in person. And so there's a couple things that I want to say about the training and the travel. One is that it's tax deductible. So whatever it is you're spending on it, you have to think of it as being about 30% less than the actual cash outlay because it's pre-tax money. Two is it's just like a, a cost of doing business. So one thing that you can do is set benchmarks and goals for yourself for revenue based on, on yoga and then reward yourself with trainings, with traveling for trainings. And that'll, that'll help the, your subconscious mind to have, this, to have this benchmark and this goal and knowing that there's a reward at the end of it will help your subconscious mind be even more creative about filling your classes and using your time efficiently. I, I definitely resonate with the, the rewarding component that if I've trained uh, or done enough people uh, in my classes to know that it's not, not stale. I hate the word stale, but at some point you feel a little stagnant and you want a little juice and I wish I could just take a training every now and then. And at that part, at that, at that point, you do want to reach out and see if there's the training around and then you do and there's nothing. You're like, I have to fly somewhere. I have to drive somewhere. It's far. And I have had some opportunities. I've gone to some yoga festivals and the classes that I select tend to be all 
oriented towards teachers. And I do miss out a little bit on some of the classes that I want to take just as a practitioner. Um, but that's the balance and knowing that this is my one chance I'm here. I got to squeeze as much as I can in on this plane ticket and in this festival and double book, triple book. Um, it's uh, I crash a lot of classes. I'll say at those festivals, but it's the chance I get to be in person and ask questions of other teachers that they're, they're teacher teachers. So they're, they're there for you and their wealth of knowledge and, I, I hope that I can do that a bit more in the future and looking at it as a reward will definitely help to push me a little bit more to do it. Good. The other, the other thing that you could consider is what if you put together workshops that you teach, that you pitch to other studios in other cities so that you can justify your travel you go and you teach a workshop one day and then the next day you maybe you take a workshop or you take some classes so that you're kind of bundling it together. That's another, that might be something for the future. It might be something you're comfortable with now, but ultimately when you live in a remote area, you're going to want to really get the most out of whatever travel that you do. I definitely want to, explore workshops a bit more and it's a conversation that I had um, a little bit more recently that workshops would be a great way to introduce some of my students to that next level or that next component that I feel some of them are are missing out on because it, it to me it's really it's it's I love teaching the new the new people or the people that just want to stay at that very basic level I'm okay with that but Maybe they maybe they want more. Maybe um, I've been thinking workshops for introducing more of the chaturanga component because right now it's a lot of just step back or knees and then chest chin. And I know there's some people that want to get to that next level. And this winter I was considering playing around with some of those ideas and that would solidify a workshop series or um, classes that I could potentially market to the bigger studios. When you think about the bigger studios and the bigger cities, I want you to really think differently from when you're thinking about the population that you teach in your area, because they are probably going to have a lot of workshops and a lot of people pitching to them. So you really have to capitalize on what makes you different. And your your personal strength, the place that you are in your element the most is with the Yoga for Rock Climbers. That's where you can stand out and offer an expertise that those studios are not going to find. Maybe they might not find somewhere else. So if you want to teach workshops to your students, I think that's awesome. I think you should do that. And it might help you learn how to teach workshops. It might improve those skills. That's what I was getting at. (laughs) Yeah. And when you put together a workshop that you want to teach in a bigger city, I would focus on the rock climbing or maybe you'll come up with something else that differentiates you, but it's going to be, you know, the, the thing that's so cool about being in a rural area is it's not competitive, right? You show up (laughs) and the senior teacher who's been in town 20 years is like, Hey, welcome. Want to set my classes for me? It's (laughs) awesome. Right. That does not happen when you're in a big city, you show up and everybody's like, who are you? Yeah, <laughs> I don't care. So you have to really, you really have to, that's where niching becomes essential in a big city. Mm-hmm. I can think of one other city in all of Wyoming that could benefit from that niche because they also have a, a climbing Mecca um, centered around Lander and there's a large enough population there that would be interested in specifically a class for climbers. Um I think it could happen anywhere. I think, you know, climbing is becoming more and more well-known. And what you want to look at is, for example, you could look at climbing gyms. Most big cities have climbing gyms these days. So you could, instead of pitching to the yoga studios, you could pitch to the climbing gyms. So you teach there and that covers your cost of travel, justifies your time, and then you know, the workshops or classes that you take would probably be at yoga studios. But that way, 
um, in one of the in one of the podcasts, I mentioned the concept of the blue ocean versus the red ocean. Mm-hmm. And yoga studios in big t- big cities are kind of red oceans. <laughs> it's, it's a tough it's a tough market. But yeah. if you're pitching yoga to a climbing studio and you're a climber, that you might be in a wide blue ocean where they're like, "Yes, bring it on." Yes, I I agree with that definitely. The blue ocean effect, um, and, and it's a little bit easier to find um, here. But if I go just one more hour south to Colorado, <laughs> it's the red ocean. So, <laughs> but perhaps not at the climbing gyms. No, yeah, maybe not. Maybe not. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Valerie, do you have any any questions about anything we've talked about so far? No, you are a wealth of knowledge, which is why I was so excited that I got selected to chat with you and do this podcast because, again, I don't get a lot of opportunity to talk to other teachers with a, with a lot of experience, and it's always rewarding when I do, and I try to become this sponge for you, but it's been really, it's been really great, and I'm really honored that I got uh, to talk to you for this hour, and hopefully fill up my cup a little bit. Yeah. I was super excited to talk to you because I think that rural areas are a huge uh, potential for yoga, for growth, for yoga. And I didn't even know about the rock climbing when I selected you, you hadn't even told me about that. So that was just a bonus that you actually do have this amazing niche (laughs) that over time you can develop. Yeah, it's a bigger component almost than than the yoga is, but it it has shifted in a way for me because I can't do it year round. I live in a place now where there's snow and 20 degrees and there's chunks of my winter where I, I do have to travel and leave my yoga students for a teeny bit of time, but they understand because they do it too. They winter other places and it's a whole new uh, wild west out here for me. And it's been really cool to see what possibilities there are for yoga and my future and that that developing realm of teaching and just practicing as well. I really hope that you are able to find a way to structure your local classes as series because that's going to accommodate for that seasonality and for your need to travel and your desire to travel and it also, it really serves the students to make a commitment to themselves. And that's how, that's how you can, you know, you can book it or bill it that way, advertise it that way. You can talk about it, you know, genuinely with sincerity that making a commitment to themselves is worth it. Yeah, I agree. That's, that's definitely um, billable, as you said, for, for this area. And it's just something I, couldn't quite see and because I haven't lived here long enough to really and, and grasp the ideas of seasons. If you've been to SoCal ever, <laughs> you know, there aren't really seasons. There's summer and there's kind of a fall and then it comes back to summer. Yeah. Well, before we wrap up, I want to talk briefly about the, the issue of marketing and talking about what you do, because there were a few things that you mentioned that sounded like you had some discomfort around that. Is that true? Yeah, it's not something that I'm fantastic at self-promoting. People do come up and say, oh, I yeah, I saw your picture on um, Dr. Redabaugh's website. You're one of the yoga teachers, right? And then I kind of get stuck. I'm like, yeah, you should come to a class. And it can be awkward. It's not something that I've um, had a lot of time so far expressing to people. Yeah. Well, let's spend a minute diving into it. Why should they come to class? Because it will make their day better. (laughs) So if you say that to them, is that about self-promotion? No, not necessarily. I didn't say anything about myself. Um, No. It's not about self-promotion at all. It's about helping people. Okay. And so I want you to, and this is something that I struggled with for so, so long. I even put, I I did a Facebook live about it that is on the Facebook group, but the general thing is that I felt 
like promoting myself was in conflict with yoga, that there was a paradox there or uh, a conflict. And because I was so uncomfortable with it, I really started to dive into it and try to learn about it. And what I learned is that the best marketing has nothing to do with self-promotion and everything to do with serving people. So what you need to do, what all of us need to do is figure out who we can help and then how we can communicate that to them. And when that's your focus, when you're talking to people about what you do, or it's nothing about you, it's nothing about getting them to like you or getting them to want you or getting them to support you, but it's all about how you can help them, then that awkwardness goes away because they can feel that, especially when you're having these one-on-one conversations, they can feel your desire to help them, your, your good wishes towards them. That's what's coming at them instead of this vague discomfort, (laughs) right? And the vague discomfort, they don't know what that is, but the good wishes, they can feel that they know what that is. Yeah, that's a a really good uh, way of looking at it to, to sort of flip it, flip it on, on them that they're asking me about yoga. They're not asking about me myself. They're asking me about classes and how it works. And so I have to look at it from the other side too and say, well, what can I give them? They're not asking about me. So how do I connect to them on that? Um, How can I help you? What, what is what's your ailment in a sense? Um, is it, you just need self-care or you got a backache or something, um, finding a way to connect to their need and then expressing how yoga can help them with that. Yeah, that's actually great. That's not exactly what I said, but it's really good. I love that because if you are engaging with someone and instead of lecturing them (laughs) about what yoga is, you're engaging them in a conversation about what yoga is. That's more dynamic. That's more alive. Yeah. And they're coming up with some of the responses themselves instead of you just feeding them spoonfuls of, of history or something. (laughs) Sure. Sure. And ultimately what I just want you to do is notice those moments that you are uncomfortable and consciously switch into giving mode, switch into how can I help this person mode? So that might mean that you're like, Oh, actually I just need to listen right now. I don't need to talk. I need to, they just need someone to listen to them. Or it might be, you know, letting them know that they deserve some time to themselves or whatever it is, whatever it is that comes up for you. Use the discomfort when it happens as like a little bell. It's like a little signal. Oh, I noticed mm-hmm. discomfort. That means I'm wrapped up in myself. How? C- and then that's your, your cue to switch over to how can I help this person? Yes. A bell, a cue, got it. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> so when you create your elevator speech, think of it as being benefit-driven. Mm-hmm. And is there a way, this is a question, I, I think the answer is yes, but I'm not sure exactly how. Is there a way for even your elevator speech to be of benefit to the person you're sharing it with. Uh, yeah, definitely. I, I think listening is a, is a huge component. They've come, they've come to you and asked you about it for a reason. Uh, yeah. Maybe they're just curious. Maybe they're just being polite, but either way, they're going to get something out of it. They're going to find maybe something that they weren't looking for. Like, Oh, she really listened. And I never thought of yoga as doing that for me. And exactly. Yeah. In 30 seconds. <laughs> yeah. Well you can, and this is why it's a work in progress. So you, you create a version of it. You try it out. Did that work? Maybe you refine it a little bit. You try it out with the next person. Did that work better? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Okay. Trial and error. That is, that is our best tool for learning, especially the error part. Yeah. Why didn't that work? Oh, I stopped listening or <laughs> all of it. All yeah. Of it. Whatever it was. I think our, our culture is so focused on achievement that we shy away from erroring. We shy away from making mistakes, but the more comfortable we get with making mistakes, 
then the faster we're going to learn and grow. So I'm trying to train myself to, (laughs) (laughs) to get more comfortable making mistakes and doing this podcast is a big part of that. And even like, you know, doing these on-air coaching calls, it feels super vulnerable to me because I could totally mess up, you know, and I, (laughs) I could say I, when I, when I record my solo shows, I can stop and be like, oh my God, I just totally messed that up. And I just go re-record it. Right, right, right. But in this, in this scenario, then it just is what it is. Yeah. And, and when, even when you have guests, which have been so amazing and, and another wealth of knowledge, all your guests, um, same thing. You just, you let them fire off what they're thinking and feeling and, and there it's, it's t- talking to a specific topic, but here, who knows what I was going to say to you today. So absolutely. All those balls. Awesome. But I'm really excited about it. So go and take some action and make some mistakes. Bring some yoga to rural Wyoming. You got it right, right? <laughs> yes, yes. Okay. Rural Wyoming, not Montana. <laughs> I wonder how long that's going to stick where people ask me, so how's Montana? But oh, forever. Yes, definitely Wyoming. <laughs> they forget about the least populated state, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Valerie. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate your time. Absolutely. Thank you, Valerie. And to all the rural yoga teachers out there, just want to give a shout out because what you're doing is so important and the impact that you can have on the people around you is huge. So I'm really grateful to Valerie that she came on and let us dig into her business and her teaching a little bit. And I hope that it was valuable for you, whether you are living in a more rural area or if you got some pieces maybe about the languaging that'll help you to connect with the student that is going to benefit the most from your style and the way that you bring yoga to your classes. If you want to book your own strategy session, I would love that. You can check if I have availability right now by going to teachingyoga.net, click the work with me tab, and that'll take you to an online calendar where you can book a session. I also want to invite you to join the Yoga Teacher Resource Facebook group, which is where I met Valerie and where I put the call out for people who were interested in doing these on-air coaching sessions. The link to join is on teachingyoga.net. At the top, there's a link that says join our community, and that'll give you the option both to join the Facebook group and also to join the email list, which is where I send out all the extra freebies that come with certain episodes. Some topics really lend themselves better to having some kind of visual download or worksheet. So when you sign up for my email newsletter, You get access to all of the downloads for the past and then going forward, the ones in the future. That's all for this week, yoga teacher. I hope that until next time that you will make time for your personal practice, really schedule it out and make it a priority. Nurture yourself so that your cup is full and you have more to give your students. Hope you have an amazing week.